Friends, can I invite you uh, please to turn back with me in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, uh, to the Gospel of John. So it's the second reading uh, that we had earlier. So it's got the Gospel of John towards the end of chapter 8. John towards the end of chapter 8. And if you're visiting, if you're a guest with us this morning, if you're here for the very first time at St. Peter's, I suppose you'll be pleased to know that the plan for the next part of the service is, is not to, to patronize you. <laughs> it's not to try and patronize you. We often hear Christians at this time of year uh, say things, don't we? Stuff like, you know, society today has, has lost the meaning of Christmas. Christians say that. We, we say that. You know, people today don't know the reason for the season. We hear that often. And there's probably, you know, if we're honest, there's some truth in that. Uh, But the plan is not to patronize you this morning. I know that you know the Christmas story. So I doubt there's anyone in St. Peter's this morning who, if we were to talk or to ask about the origins of the Christmas story, nobody's going to go straight to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or anything like that. I know that, that you know right at the very heart of the Christmas story, the origins of the Christmas story, there lies a baby born to Mary, laid in a manger in Bethlehem. You know that, I know that. So just now, instead of me seeking to re-establish that there is a baby at the center of Christmas. What I want you and I to do together for our time together just now is to consider much more who that baby was. I mean, you think about it for a moment. If today, over 2,000 years after he was born, lots of the world still remember and celebrate a festival that remembers that event, then that that person, that individual, must be incredibly special. So just now I want us to ask, well, who who is he? To consider his identity. That's the plan. But but how to do that? Like, how are we going to consider who this child was? Well, a few years ago, when we were living down south, um, my wife and I had a reasonably high-profile politician. Uh, They came and they knocked on the door of where we were staying. It was sort of coming to, you know, coming towards election time. They were canvassing. They were going, going the rounds, knocking on the doors, wanting to, to speak to us. Do you know, like we both, we chatted about it afterwards and we found it a very interesting thing because we had heard lots of other people talk about this particular politician. You know, we had heard our family have their say and the BBC News had had their say, and Twitter had had its say. But now this person was st- standing right there, and like we were able to ask them questions, and they were able to speak a- 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 about. We were able to hear directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak. I suppose that's what we're going to do this morning. You see, that baby at the heart of the Christmas story, he grew up. He became a man and he revealed, for all who would listen, he revealed exactly who he is. And so just now, for our time together at God's Word, we're we're not going to go to the BBC News. We're not going to go to a media organization. We're not going to go to friends or family. Do you know what we'll do? 
We will just now go directly to the source and in God's word, we will go to Jesus just now and we will ask Jesus, well, well, who exactly are you, Jesus? We will ask Jesus, who is it that was lying in that manger at Christmas time? So that's the plan. Let's go directly to the source to consider who uh, this baby is at Christmas. Will you join me before we look into John 8? Will you join me? Let's pray together. Let's ask God for help. And we do that. Almighty and eternal God. Uh, Again, it is such a privilege for us to consider at Advent what you have done. But we, Lord God, can get stale because of our rebellion and sin. Would you, Lord God, add the blessing? Would you help us to see, even with new eyes, the glory and the wonder of the miracle of Jesus Christ? We pray and we ask in Jesus' name, for his name's sake. Amen. So as you've got the Bible there in front of you, we'll look at different aspects of of who this baby was. First is this, let's think about Christ as pre-incarnate. Christ or Christ as pre-existent. Let's go for that. Christ as pre-existent. And we'll explain that. Now, you can see what we're doing What we're doing this morning is from nowhere, we're just jumping this time into the middle of this book, the Gospel of John. So just as it was last week, last Sunday morning, you you can see what we've got to do first of all, can't you? The first thing we've got to do is just assess, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? Like, what is the context or the situation? So what what is it? What's happening in John 8? I think actually the, the obvious thing for me to say is that at this point here, Jesus in his ministry is experiencing not just increasing opposition, but most notably Jesus is experiencing opposition from the Jews or let's go for the religious establishment. It is opposition that he's facing from the religious elite. You get that, don't you? That's what's happening here, John chapter 8. Fierce opposition from the establishment. Now, In our section, as Will read it, you might have noticed a claim that Jesus made in verse 56. And I wonder if we can even project that, if we can, Juliet, just from verse 56 to 58. Or if you have a look in front of you, do you see the claim that Jesus makes? Wait for this. Wait for it. Jesus claims that Abraham... Right, we all know who Abraham is, right? You know, that great patriarch of hundreds of years before the book of Genesis. What's the claim that Jesus makes? He claims that Abraham was looking forward to and anticipating not only Jesus' life, but his ministry. That's a claim, isn't it? Now, how the religious establishment respond to that claim is probably quite predictable. Did you pick up on it? Do you see what they do? Like what they do is predictable because what the religious elite do is they take that and they twist Jesus' words and then they start poking fun at Jesus, don't they? Can, can you not just feel the, what we call, like the ridicule or the scoffing of verse 57 there? Do you, do you see? Jesus, are you having a laugh? Effectively, they say, you know, you're not even 50. How how can 
Abraham. How can you have seen Abraham? You're not even 50 years. Can you feel the sort of the scoffing nature, the ridicule of it all? But it is what the Lord Jesus says next that you and I need to get just now. So just have a look at what comes next. Do you see it there? Truly, truly, I say to you, wait for it. What does he say? Jesus says to these religious leaders, before Abraham was, I am. Now, here's the deal this morning. This morning, um, my intention just now is not for us to try and cover this uh, whole chapter of Scripture, nor is it even an intention to cover this whole section. Like All I want is for our attention to be on those words alone. Before Abraham was, I am. And under this first heading, oh, I do want you to understand and see that what you have there is a declaration from Jesus of pre-existence. A declaration where Jesus is claiming, wait for this, here Jesus is claiming to exist eternally. The Son is claiming to exist eternally. Come on, this morning, how does that land with you? My head is hurting a little bit just trying to think about that. This is yours? I mean, this is the idea that before, come on, before Jesus was born, before he was even conceived, that he existed. This is the idea here, that the Son of God was living hundreds of years prior to Bethlehem. Did you hear that? The Son living even when Abraham was around, even before that. Isn't this an amazing claim? This is a big claim from Jesus. So I think you and I have to just just gently push into this, don't we? And I want us to ask just a couple of questions of, of this. First question I would like us to ask is, well, have we got this right? I mean, is Jesus really claiming to be eternal here? Is he not just claiming to be really old? (laughs) Or something along those lines? I mean, have we got this right or not? I'll tell you what, look with me here at verse 58. We've narrowed down to verse 58. I I would ask you, just humbly, I would ask you just to consider just now the tenses that you've got on the screen there. I think the young people, we've got quite a few who are in school in the room just now. And you can probably do this better than we can do it as adults because some of you will have thought about and been taught about tenses, whether you're doing French or Spanish or English, there'll be tenses drummed into you in school. Well, look at verse 58. What does Jesus not say? Do do you see it? He doesn't say here, before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I was born. What would that be, friend? That would be tantamount to Jesus saying, well, I'm older than Abraham. I was born before Abraham. Now, now Jesus does not say that, does he? What does he say? He says, before Abraham was, I am. I hope you see what that is. That, That speaks to Jesus' ongoing eternity. I am. Do you see how that, that speaks to the perfect settledness of Jesus' eternal 
being. Do you see that? No, we don't have this wrong. Jesus really is claiming pre-existence. I, I, I am here. So that's the first question. Second question, is this um, a mistake? So years ago, a long, long time ago, um, I worked uh, for a record company um, that was based in Edinburgh. So I worked for a record company. And as soon as I say that, I, I think some people think, oh, that sounds quite good, you know, a music record company, and that sounds quite reasonable, quite glamorous. And I want to, to put that to bed immediately. It was not glamorous in any way, and it was just a small sort of start-up, fledgling type of record company. But uh, one day, I was uh, given a simple task to do. I had a task to do. So I, I presume you know how it would work. A band goes into... Uh, a recording studio, right? And they, uh, you know, put all their effort into recording an album. And then what does the producer do? The producer will pr- provide a mix of that album. And then it will be all put onto one master CD. You get the idea? And so you've got everything, all that labor and effort comes down to one master CD. And this was my job. My job was to send the master CD to the publisher so that a run of a few thousand copies of this CD could be made. Right, everyone's with me that that is a pretty straightforward job to do. Andy, send CD to publisher for a run of a few thousand. And I got it wrong. I got it wrong. And somehow I managed to send the wrong CD uh, to, to the publisher. Okay. And I know you're thinking, what an idiot. And I'm with you on that, Totally. But I managed to avert a disaster I did on the phone. But can you see what might have happened? What could have happened is that a CD with a mistake on it, a wrong CD, could have been like duplicated, replicated thousands and thousands and thousands of times with a mistake in it. Well, is that what has happened in John chapter 8, I wonder? Like, is it? I mean, we have all heard of scribal errors, I imagine. Is it possible that Jesus said something different? Is it possible that this was taken down incorrectly and then just replicated in all of our copies of the Bible? And I want you to hear the answer to that. The answer to that is no. More than that, if you're visiting, if you're a guest at St. Peter's this morning, I want you to understand that what we are dealing with right now And that is Christ Jesus presented as pre-existent. Now, listen, please. That is the continued witness of Holy Scripture. That idea is the repeated testimony of God's Word. I wonder if you would just listen to the evidence of that. Think about how this book, John's Gospel, begins. How does it start Some of the Christians in here could probably immediately recite it. Listen, though, to the claim about Jesus. John says, in the beginning was the word. That's John's way of speaking about Jesus. Or wait a minute, let's get away from John for a second. What about another biblical author? Let's go for the Apostle Paul. What does he say about this one born in Bethlehem? What does Paul say? He says, by him... All things were created. Creation. The author to Hebrews says this, Christ 
is the one through whom God created the world. And then, then selfishly, we get to my favorite of all. Now just listen to this. Jesus grows up and, and, and Jesus is about to go onto that cross to pay the punishment for his people's sins. And you just listen to what Jesus prays. And he prays to his heavenly father. And he prays this, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. My friends, is this not amazing? We are going to Jesus and we're asking, well, who exactly are you? Like there's all this fuss at Christmas time. Who is it that's born in Bethlehem? And what does he say? Jesus says to you, I am the pre-existent one. He says to you, before Abraham was, I am Jesus, the one who has existed eternally. Now, of course, I, I realize that, that, that you might be here this morning and, and not be, um, what will we call it, a professing Christian, not following Jesus. And you might have been invited along today. You might have got one of those flyers and you might have been invited. You might have been dragged along uh, kicking and screaming this morning. If that is the case, any of the above is the case, I would simply ask you this morning, is that claim not worth you exploring? I mean, you can see why I ask you, surely. Uh, If countless millions of people throughout history have not just investigated that claim, but they have, at the end of their investigations, put their trust in Jesus and believed this claim to be true, do you not at least owe it to yourself to, to explore and to assess that claim just for you? In fact, can I just make a, a, a humble suggestion to you? Why do you not investigate that claim this Christmas? Why not, you know, that seize the day thing? Why not do that? Why not speak to a Christian that you maybe admire or respect? There might be one of those in your life. Why not ask the person who perhaps invited you along this morning and ask them to read the Bible with you? Or why don't you resolve actually to to come to church over the Advent season and, and a little bit beyond that? Read the Bible for yourself But think about it. This Jesus of Nazareth, he claimed pre-existence. Surely you need to establish for yourself whether that is true or not. So that's the first thing. Christ as pre-existent. Second thing, Christ as God incarnate. It's better. Christ as God incarnate. Now, um, in this uh, congregation here, and there's quite a few of us, and because of that, uh, we've got one or two lawyers uh, or solicitors connected to our uh, congregation, don't we? And what these lawyers and solicitors would, would no doubt affirm is that behind even a simple looking legal document, even if it looks simple, behind that can evolve a whole other world and an awful lot of work. Even behind a few words of legalese uh, can lie blood, sweat, and tears, uh, I think. Well, I want you to see that the same is true today, that there is more behind and more to this phrase, before Abraham was, I am, than, than immediately meets the eye. To see that, I, 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 I'm going to ask you to do something with me 
And I would ask you to turn to another portion of God's word. Just, just briefly, keep a finger in John chapter 8. And if you would, friends, would you turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus? And Exodus uh, chapter uh, 3. Maybe if you've got a mobile, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, even on your mobile, just uh, on your phone, just look up Exodus chapter 3. Look, as we turn there, and if you are using a copy of the ESV or something like that, immediately you'll see the title, and it's The Burning Bush. And as I say that to you, or as you look at it, I think that, you know, immediately it sparks memories for some of Sunday school, does it? Or memories of an evening service recently at St. Peter's where we looked at this portion of Scripture. So this is the portion of Scripture. You know it well. Do you? Where Moses took off his sandals because he was on holy ground? And he's, he's approaching the Lord. Now, this is the portion of Scripture. It's one of the high points in the Bible where God speaks to reveal something of who he is, to reveal something of his being. It's a special moment of Scripture. Now, if you would do this with me, if you would look at verse 14, and I wonder if we could put this up on the screen. So God is about to speak to his people and to Moses. But what does he say? He says, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. Now, every one of us, let's jump back to John chapter 8. Go back to the beginning of the chapter and perhaps you think you know where I'm going. But hold your horses. Go back to the beginning of John 8. What I want you to see here in this chapter is actually something of an escalation of Jesus' revelation, a development in his revelation. Now, I wonder if you'll see it with me. So you're in John 8, Luke, first to verse 12. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And, and we're there and we're thinking, is that an allusion perhaps to Exodus 3, is it? But then he makes it a bit clearer if we look to verse 24. And he says, you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. If we move on, it builds up. He says something similar in verse 28. And all of this, before eventually we get to our own climactic verse in verse 58, where it becomes crystal clear what Jesus is saying. What is verse 58? Before Abraham was, I am. Um, did you see there is this crescendo, there is this development to this dramatic disclosure? I'd ask you, St. Peter's, who is Jesus claiming to be at this moment before those religious leaders? He is claiming not just to be pre-existent. Christ Jesus here is claiming to be, wait for this, he is claiming to be the very same God who spoke to Moses from that burning bush Jesus is saying, I am the great, I am God Almighty, God himself. Now, if we thought the previous claim was big, <laughs> well, we're bowled over here. Jesus is claiming to be God. You're with me that you don't get a bigger, bolder claim than this, do you? 
And so I think we have to ask, are we, are we perhaps reading too much into this? I mean, two words almost, you know. Before Abraham was, I am, are we reading too much into this? I mean, I mean you can see this. We uh, live in a world uh, where much of modern scholarship has taken a strange turn, haven't we? The university students know this. The, the school kids know this. We all know it. Much of what modern day scholarship does is try to read meaning back into texts from ancient history, uh, doesn't it? Like whatever the zeitgeist, like whatever the prevailing spirit of the ages in society, very often we're, we're, we find it like people are trying to read that meaning back into a text. So before long, take it from me, school kids are, when it comes to learning about Shakespeare, what they're doing is trying to analyze and say, oh, well, maybe we should be questioning Shakespeare's sexuality or, or something like, just reading the prevailing spirit of the age back into ancient texts. Are we doing this? Like, are we trying to read too much? Before Abraham was, I am. Oh, two things for you to consider. Number one, how did those religious leaders at the time respond? Look at it. Look at verse 59. Like, if I was to ask you, you know, how do you describe the Jews' response? What would you say? I mean, they're not happy. Like, what would you say? What terms would you say? You'd say that they're filled with rage or, and they're violent, aren't they, when they hear it? But what exactly do they do? They pick up stones. They're going to, they're going to stone Jesus. Does everybody in the room see what that what that was. That was the punishment that the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 24, reserved for claims of deity, for blasphemy. Do you see that even the very initial hearers of Jesus' words, they understood what he was doing. They understood this is a claim, he's claiming to be God here. But then consider this. Consider That what we're seeing here, Jesus as God, Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, that that also is the repeated witness of the Holy Bible. This is also the continued testimony of the New Testament scriptures. And again, if you're a guest, and if you're just visiting, would you consider that? This isn't a one-off. The Bible presents to you Jesus as God himself become man. Like we, we, we Consider even just some of the miracles that Jesus performed. You know, what did he do? He healed the lame, did he? He healed the blind? Do you see that those were the same miracles that the Old Testament said would be signs of God himself at work? And what about Jesus' authority? Consider that the authority that Jesus possessed, do you remember the authority to, to forgive transgression and sin? That was the same authority that the Old Testament said belonged to God and, and God alone. And then, then think about how the New Testament speaks of Jesus. Do you remember? He passed by the disciples in the boat. The same way that the Old Testament speaks of God himself passing by Moses as he hid in the cleft of the the rock. And if you still do not recognize that that's what the Bible presents, then just consider what God himself says. 
What does God the Father say at Jesus' own baptism? God the Father of Jesus of Nazareth says, this one, this is my son whom I love. Isn't it something? Like this morning we go to Jesus himself and his his word and, and we say, Jesus, who are you? Who is this baby at Bethlehem? And he says to us, I am the pre-existent one, but more, I am divine. Think of it, the, 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 the very God who all those years ago formed the fabric of this earth and then just set it in orbit. The, the God who came up with the, the laws of thermodynamics and the laws of physics, the God who, who keeps the sun in the sky and keeps you breathing this morning, Over 2,000 years ago, that majestic, all-powerful God, what did he do? He took to himself full humanity, and God was laid by his mother and put in a bed of straw. Who is this Jesus? Who is the one in the manger? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see holy incarnate deity. Christ is pre-existent. Christ also as divine. And we end most briefly with Christ as Savior. Christ as Savior. When you were young, and it was Christmas time, uh, did your dad or your uncle, did they do the sort of dad thing uh, when it came to Christmas presents? I think there's a dad thing when it comes to Christmas presents, and I'm looking forward to doing it uh, on the 25th. Maybe it's me, but I think dads sometimes like to make a big drama and like draw out the whole Christmas present thing. Initially, they'll be like, oh, don't buy me anything. <laughs> but that, uh, then when a present does appear, then there's a quite a bit of drama, and dads like to draw it out. You know, we'll get the present, and then... We'll open it and we'll shake it and hold it up to our ear and then we'll, and we'll take out a little bit of the, oh, I wonder what this is going to be. And then we'll take out another little bit of the present and drag it, drag it out. And then we eventually will we reveal the present. I'm going to annoy my children on the 25th, you can tell, can't you? A dad thing. In a sense, we've done the dad thing this morning at St. Peter's. Because we have this phrase, before Abraham was, I am. We opened it, take out a little bit. We see, this is a claim of pre-existence. And then we take out a little bit more. We look at it and we say, no, 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 it's, it's better, isn't it? It's bigger than that. This is also a claim of divinity, deity. Well, it's only here as we end that we see God's gift to us as a church and we see it in full. So, Go back to the start of the sermon. Can you recall the phrase that really, really, really annoyed the Jews? Let's remind ourselves of it. If we look at verse 56, give your attention to this in verse 56. Now, this annoyed them. They were irate. We see why. Look at it. So Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Now, wait. If we're going to fully understand that, and why it annoyed them so, a couple of things. 
One, we have to appreciate that throughout the Old Testament, there was this expectation and hope that one day a saviour would, would rise up. We know this, don't we? Throughout, from Genesis onwards, even, as we will look at soon. All the way through, there was this hope one day the saviour would rise up and save his people from their sin. So we have to appreciate that. But the other thing that we must appreciate is how the Old Testament spoke of the coming of the Savior, the coming of the Christ. Now, this is what I am desperate for you to get. One technical way in the Old Testament, one technical way that the Old Testament spoke about that day when the, the Christ would come, the Savior would come, is the Old Testament spoke about the day. Remember that? Can you think about that? All the way through the Old Testament scriptures, Joel chapter 2, Isaiah, Jeremiah. What, what's going to happen? What's, how do we speak about the Christ? The day of the Lord. What are they waiting for? The day that is coming when the Savior will come. The Savior will come and the Savior will act. Well, this morning, it appears, as you sit here reflecting on these verses up here, do you now see what Christ is saying to those Jews. Do you now see God's gift to us in full? As Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. What is he saying? He's revealing not just that he is pre-existent, divine. Jesus is revealing to those people and to us that he himself is that long-awaited Savior, my day. Because we cannot act to save ourselves. And because we desperately need a righteousness that comes from outside of fallen humanity. Oh, what is the truth of the gospel, the kernel of it all? Because we need a righteousness from outside. God himself has come for us. God has come that through his atoning work on Calvary Hill, God himself might provide that salvation that his people so desperately need. And so we end the same way as we ended last week with two moments of appeal. First of all, to you, if you are a Christian and following Jesus, here's, here's the appeal. Do you not think you and I should follow Abraham's lead? What did he do? Rejoiced. Should we not? We know his day. Do you see it? We know what, what Christ has done for us. And I know what Christmas is like for, for some of us. It can be a day of uh, a season even of like fellowship and, and all the F's, you know, festivities and food and fun and, 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 and all, all of that good stuff. But given what we know, given what God has done, that righteousness that he has given to us, should Christmas not primarily, essentially, fundamentally be a time of praise? We think this Advent season, Christian friends, make it a time for private, personal, and public devotion to your Savior and your God. But then, the second appeal to you if you're a, a guest, if you're not yet a Christian, I would just urge you to be, to be really precise about the message of the gospel that you've heard this morning. Now listen, listen. The message you've heard about Jesus this morning is not that Jesus of Nazareth is pre-existent, he's not the pre-existent divine savior from sin. 
That is not the message you have heard this morning. The message you have heard this morning is that Jesus of Nazareth is the pre-existent divine saviour from sin that you desperately need if you are to be reconciled to the one true living God. He is the one you need if you are to receive a gift from God, the gift of everlasting life. So yes, investigate for yourself. Explore it. By all means, do that. But do more. This Christmas, bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in him. And you will find what? Yes, it's true, as twee as it might sound. Repent and believe and you will find the real meaning of Christmas. You will know in him the reason for the season. Let's bow. Let's pray.